A decade ago, during experiments on board the space shuttle Columbia, Merck scientist Paul Reichert discovered conditions that crystallize a specific protein. By studying these crystals, Paul and his team determined all new ways to improve the storage of structurally fragile medicines, devising life-saving drug delivery methods. Paul is just one of many Merck scientists dedicated to inventing for life. See why we invent at Merck.com slash inventing for life. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Happy holidays. Uh, my present to you is you get to hear from Kara Swisher, famed podcaster, columnist, all around awesome person. Today, uh, Kara is interviewing Hao Wu, director of a new documentary called People's Republic of Desire. Kara also talked to Loretta Chow. She's a former Wall Street Journal reporter who covers tech in China. Okay, enough from me. Here is Kara. Today in the red chair is Hao Wu, the director of a new documentary, People's Republic of Desire. It's about the people who stream their lives online and what the phenomena is doing for human relationships in China. Also joining us for this conversation is Loretta Chow, a former Wall Street Journal reporter who has covered the tech industry in China. So talk a little bit about sort of the way you got to this story. Um, it's, it's a really it's something I've been I'm talking about China a lot and the impact of China. The New York Times has had a very is having a large series about the impact of China technologically, especially and in other ways, and sort of that they're living the American dream. So why don't you talk about how you got to this topic? So in 2014, I went back to China to research a new topic for my next documentary. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of my friends who was a financial analyst for an investment firm just randomly asked me, do you know this company called YY, mm-hmm. which was already listed on NASDAQ worth about 3 or $4 billion? Um, I said, no, I had no idea what this company does. I vaguely heard about live streaming. Mm-hmm. So then I got really curious because I had worked in China's internet industry for a long time, first mm-hmm. at Alibaba, Yahoo China, later as uh, TripAdvisor's China country manager. Um, but I asked my friends around me in Beijing or Shanghai, nobody has heard much about live streaming. Uh, so I started looking into it. The more I did my research, the more I find it intriguing because this live streaming platform back in 2014 was still a very niche internet culture phenomenon, but it attracted a lot of rich patrons as well as very poor, what we call the loser fans already. So I found a lot of rich people and poor people getting together online to mm-hmm. worship the same internet celebrity, right. internet idols. Well, I YouTube that had been that, but go back a little bit. So your your background, give your quick background, and then Loretta, I want to talk what you, you did. Talk about your background before this. Um, before this, I came to the U.S. in the 1990s uh, for graduate school. I got my MBA and went to Silicon Valley, worked as a product manager, worked my way up, and then At- to the... At uh, first at Excite at Home right. and later yeah. at Earthlink. I know. It's funny you're at Excite at Home. I can't believe that. Yeah. And later on, 2004, I moved back to China. Did uh, you Why come- did you do that? What was the – you just felt like you needed to go back there or there was something exciting going on? Um, there were some personal reasons, family reasons. And also I was – in 2004, that was uh, – the internet was still – internet in Silicon Valley was recovering from the first uh, big bubble burst. And then it wasn't – as exciting to me at that point, but China was really progressing very fast. I really wanted to go back to China to see what China had changed. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went back and did uh, 
e-commerce startup as I mentioned I work for um, Chinese internet companies but uh, along the side I was doing started making documentary as mm-hmm. a hobby only in 2012 I decided to quit my job and TripAdvisor and, and, beca- and became a, a full-time filmmaker but wh- what was your experience like working in the internet sector both at Excited Home and then later in China was there a difference or how did you you could have gone to lots of companies, right? Move from one to the next. Yeah, I decided to join Alibaba at that point because just Alibaba was such an iconic Chinese internet company. Mm-hmm. Even back then, back in 2006, there was a lot of uh, discussion in the Chinese media space about how unique Alibaba was. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to check out because I, um, my internet career started in Silicon Valley, right. you know, excited at home, the typical Silicon Valley. Which was Valley sort of a co- disaster. Kind yeah, of a, in the end. Yeah, yeah but while well, well, the part lasted, it was a lot of fun. Okay. So, Which part? Which part? <laughs> and I just love the people, right? Uh-huh. Everybody was so idealistic, thinking about doing something good, and yeah. everybody's going to be rich in the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> American yeah. dream. Yeah. And, uh, well, uh, also the Chinese dream. <laughs> yeah, the Chinese dream, right. We'll get... Yeah. Go ahead. And, but then... And, Alibaba was, working at Alibaba was really a cultural shock mm-hmm. um, because the way it was managed is kind of different from the typical Silicon Valley company. Uh, so it took How me. So? There's a lot more top down directive in terms of where the company is going rather mm-hmm. than bottom up. And secondly, Alibaba really focused on culture building. So, you know, the HR, the performance evaluation mm-hmm. and your how do you conform to the company culture is almost like 50% of mm-hmm. the weight. So I found that challenging, but also at the same time familiar because that's the Chinese culture I grew up with. And uh, I think Alibaba used a lot of the traditional, uh, what you call it, very Confucian value and also very, even borrow something from the Communist Party, how you organize mm-hmm. its, uh, you know, how you rallies troops to achieve a goal, that right. kind of... Uh, 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 you're on your own kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Right. And so you then went to TripAdvisor to be com- from there. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And yeah. you moved because they need, all these U.S. companies need help there and usually fail, typically fail. Yeah, yeah I mean, TripAdvisor approached me to help them set up their China operations. Mm-hmm. I found that to be a very interesting, challenging opportunity because it will allow me to be almost doing a startup without having to go through the challenging phase of raising financing for right. a startup. Right. So, Loretta, you were working for the Wall Street Journal, which are where I was at the same time, too, and you were covering sort of this nascent economy, kind of yes. this internet economy. You wrote a lot, lot of different things, but that was one of the things I remember you wrote a lot about. Yeah, so I covered technology. Um, I arrived in China sort of the pre-Olympic era and mm-hmm. stayed there until 2012. Mm-hmm. Pre-Olympic era. That's before <laughs> they were building the bird's nest, right? Correct. Uh, well, I got there while they were building it. Yeah. Right. And what was? how did it strike you covering that, the, the early internet? Because a lot of people saw China as sort of a copycat, uh, was sort of doing versions of U.S. companies, and that U.S. companies would go there and just be wrecked, essentially. I think it's kind of a cycle because, um, you know, Chinese companies are always talked about in the context of what they, you know, what they compare to in the United States. Mm -hmm. And not just because that's what they are in some cases, but also because that's how you get international audiences to relate to them. Mm -hmm. So it may not be like entirely fair to say this is the blah, blah of China. Um, Whereas like some of them, of course, they do look towards Silicon Valley, as I think everyone does. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that there's an element of just sort of inspiration, but also, you know, the narrative that's being 
But that changed during the time there, correct? I mean, it did because it, they suddenly became leaders as far as, I, you know, some of the innovations that were happening at the different companies. They were leaders. They were more leaders than they used to be. Yeah, because I think the context that they came up in was different. They may have started out saying looking toward the Googles of America and then thinking, but how does that fit in with a local context? People use the Internet so differently. There was less infrastructure in various industries at the time. So they developed differently with the culture because mm -hmm. of that. So talk a little bit about also the way that people use the Internet in China that's differently. Obviously, there's a lot of government involvement comparatively. There's a lot of government help and oversight, surveillance, really. Um, talk a little bit about how that's different. Um, I think that a lot of the difference actually comes from legacy culture. So mm -hmm. people didn't start off on PC, right? So much of China started mobile. their access to the Internet from mobile through apps. And now, actually today, it's really a lot through, like, this chat program, WeChat. Mm -hmm. um, so because of that, it's really—they've sort of leapfrogged us culturally. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have to forget a lot of behaviors in terms of text messaging or phone usage. Mm -hmm. They've gone straight into the future. So, you know, everything's digital. For example, when I left China, everything was cash. This was when? The, uh, this when I left China in 2012, everything mm -hmm. was still cash society. Now, when you go back to China, um, everyone you can pay for a bottle of water on the street with mm -hmm. your with your phone. No mm -hmm. one really carries cash around them with them anymore. Right, which is changing. Which right, leapfrogging is exactly what's happening. I think it's what's happening here. So you got interested in this topic, the live streaming, because why? How? Um, be, uh, originally, because uh, how you reflects the uh, uh, wealth inequality in the society. Mm -hmm. But later on, as I understand it more and more. I was amazed at how the live streaming universe really replicate uh, the hierarchies and uh, uh, in in real life in China as well as to satisfy the desires of the population that's unmet in real life. All right, explain how it works there. So how it works is different because everyone here is familiar with YouTube. There were some live streaming, Facebook Live a little bit, but you know Periscope comes and goes, that kind of stuff. So explain the difference and what's happening. So originally there was uh, two types of live streamings in China. One is like gaming live streaming, sim very similar to Twitch. Mm -hmm. And then there's uh, what we Which call... Which is people watch each other play games. Playing games. Mm -hmm. And then in parallel to that, we also had uh, showroom live streaming. Basically, you set up a, almost like a home studio with a webcam and lighting and good mic. And you, you can do your own shows and a fixed time every day, like singing karaoke or telling jokes or doing dance shows. Mm -hmm. And how they make money is that... the any fans watching the show can spend real money to buy digital gifts like digital lollipops or diamond mm -hmm. rings mm -hmm. from the platform. And then they can gift those digital gifts to the performers they like. Mm -hmm. And the performer can get a cut of the money's worth of those digital gifts. Mm -hmm. So that, that 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 was the first wave. And later on in real life, people started using their phones to do live streaming. But nowadays in the third wave of live streaming, it's being used in a lot more applications. Like, for example, like e-commerce, Taobao, mm -hmm. uh, and JD is doing a lot more e-commerce live streaming. This is JD.com. Yeah, JD.com. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like a, a home. everybody can host their own home shopping network mm -hmm. uh, online. Mm -hmm. And then it's also being used in education in other fields. In order to teach or to? To teach. Right. And you can charge people. Right. So which is like a lot of things that have developed. But how is it different? Because it's is it just the size of the audience or the willingness of the audience to participate in this constant live streaming environment? Because you call it the People's Republic of Desire. Explain yep. that title. Yeah, I mean, live streaming in China, when it was first reported by Western media, people usually call it a hormone economy. Mm -hmm. uh, hormone economy. Uh, yeah, it's okay. usually portrayed as young, a lot of young, lonely males sitting mm -hmm. at home watching pretty girl, girls singing karaoke or flirt with them. Mm -hmm. But what I found out is actually a lot more complex. 
um, people watch live streaming for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there are lonely young, young people, you know, uh, watching pretty girls and fantasize mm-hmm. about them. But there's also because the, the way Chinese live streaming is different from the rest of the world is that it has this gifting culture built in. Mm-hmm. So essentially, any fan can tip the right. live streamers right. and get noticed. Right. So they feel like they're part of this performance as well. They're in control mm-hmm. somehow. They also mm-hmm. feel connected to the live streamers. Mm-hmm. And once that kind of uh, relationship is built up, once live streamers accumulate enough poor fans, then they can attract a lot more rich patrons mm-hmm. who just want to show off by spending a lot of money in front of the these tens of thousands of poor fans to mm-hmm. get their ego boost. All right. Explain that. Explain that because I think it's hard to understand. Explain the rich patron part of it. The rich patrons, a lot of times, because in real life, they hang out with other rich people. They don't right. stand out. Right. They want to show off. So the the way to show off, obviously, they go to a live streaming showroom with, like, let's say, 20,000 fans. Mm-hmm. Once they spend, let's say, 10,000 US dollars buying digital diamond rings mm-hmm. for the live streamers, all the live streamers profile will, will applaud and say, oh, you're so rich and so awesome. Mm-hmm. And the rich people, they just feel like such an ego satisfaction mm-hmm. in front of 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing they cannot get in real life. Right. It's like how, wearing logos and walking right. through it's a town funny. square. Yeah. So talk about that. Is, is that something that's particular to China or that it hasn't, it's just developing there? I think it happens in all societies just differently. And in China, because uh, the wealth has accumulated in such a short time, this like ostentatious, uh, you know, culture has come up and and that's what's currently, you know, the way people behave. Mm -hmm. So I think there is like this, this temptation to show people like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm ahead or whatever. And now that our lives have become somewhat digital, this Mm -hmm. is like the manifestation of it on the internet. So the actual patrons get rich. Then they get get more famous, I guess, more famous, not rich, more famous or noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. And now when you talk to these, so so the system is that someone has something that's appealing, either karaoke or dancing or whatever, and then they attract fans. And then one or two of them or how many rich patrons can these people have? They can have... On different levels, right? Rich mm-hmm. patrons, they can spend, you know, a thousand a night or ten thousand dollars a night. Mm-hmm. And so um, sometimes they, they will have, like, for example, like in, in the YY hierarchy, the top patrons are called kings. Kings. Uh, one, you know, a top live streamer could attract 10 kings mm-hmm. in his or her showroom right. a night. Right. And to do that, they have to do what? They have to first accumulate enough poor fans. Right. So their kings will feel like, oh, then it's a good place for me to show off. There's enough fans worshiping me. And then secondly, they have to really start building the relationship with these okay. rich patrons. They usually give out their WeChat uh, accounts to these rich patrons so they mm-hmm. chat with them mm-hmm. privately. And also they sometimes they meet in, offline as well. They're offline. Okay. This doesn't exist in the United States, right? Or this doesn't at this point. I think it does in different ways. It's not exactly like this. And what he's describing, what it, which I think is so interesting, is that it sort of developed organically, right? The right. platform is just a live streaming it platform. It was just where get you on t- there, you sing and dance, people watch you, which right. is YouTube, really. That's really YouTube, right? There's right. not as much interaction between the... There is interaction between the fans, but it's more... They're online and talk to talk to fans. Right. And live just adds that element of intimacy. But really, the dynamic is similar to YouTube in terms mm-hmm. of like people are looking for relatability and they mm-hmm. find it in these influencers. Mm-hmm. So but I think what's interesting that the film shows is that there's this these patrons have come in, they start dropping all this money. And then suddenly there's this micro economy around it where mm-hmm. they are also, you know, um, they're creating agencies and like multi-channel network type of um, type of things mm-hmm. where they're actually making money then off of the people that they patron 
standardized. So it's right, super right, exactly. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk more about how the ecosystem works and where it goes and what it means to the society in China. We're here with Hao Wu, who's done a documentary called The People's Republic of Desire, and Loretta Chow, who used to cover a lot of the stuff for the Wall Street Journal. And do you live in China now? No, I live in New York New now. York. Coming up next, let's flash back to the early days of Silicon Valley with advertiser content from our sponsor, Valley of the Boom, an all-new limited series from National Geographic. Check it out. Hear that? That's the sound of the world at your fingertips. Hold on to your hats. Fasten your seatbelts. Introducing the all-new 56K Moto. In as little as 4 minutes, 39 seconds, you'll be dialed up and ready to unlock the true power of the World Wide Web. With 7 kilobytes per second download speeds and 4.2 kilobytes per second upload speeds, the 56K modem is your doorway to at least a few hundred web pages. And at these incredible, lightning-fast super speeds, you'll be blown away by the one picture your modem has the bandwidth to download each month. The 56K modem is available to anyone with a landline. Simply plug in your telephone into the modem's space-age technology and enjoy the future. That is the sound of progress. The 56K modem is brought to you by Valley of the Boom, a new six-part limited series about the companies who pioneered online technology and blew up Silicon Valley's first tech bubble in the 90s. Valley of the Boom, premiere Sunday, January 13th at 9, 8 central, only on National Geographic. Okay, we're back with Hao Wu, and he's done a documentary called The People's Republic of Desire, and he's brought along Loretta Chow, who used to work for the Wall Street Journal and has written about these issues. When you think about it just on the top that this is developed from this, what are the implications for society? Because if people are sort of living in this digital world, what's the impact, positive and negative, and then where does it go? Yeah, I think that's an issue people everywhere are grappling with right mm-hmm. now. Um, there's obviously positive to this. For example, in the film, the live streamers came from nothing. Mm-hmm. They had no education. They had no prospect in terms of uh, progress in, in Chinese uh, modern mm-hmm. Chinese society. Except to work somewhere. Yeah, ex- except to work somewhere as a, either as a migrant worker or f- uh, as a low-paid office Factory worker. Right? But live streaming or internet gave them a chance to become mm-hmm. really rich to achieve this Chinese dream or the American mm-hmm. dream, right, mm-hmm. as you may call it. Um, also, for the migrant worker, for the poor fans, they move from the countryside to the big cities. They, they have no family, no real friends around them. They feel extremely isolated. Live streaming or the internet allow them to form a, some type of connection online, mm-hmm. regardless how elusive that connection is. So I think it's doing some good. But I think the challenge is that once they spend all their times online, once they put all their pin their all of their hopes online, it, it, it kind of further isolate them. Mm-hmm. And uh, even for the live streamer, once they become so, the, you know, the live streamers I feature in the film nowadays they probably make eighty to one hundred thousand U.S. dollars a month now. They're mm-hmm. super wealthy. They own multiple cars, but they feel miserable because they their life they don't get out of the house mm-hmm. and they have to maintain their patron relationship right. all, all the time right. online. That's a complaint of a lot of YouTubers that they're constantly online. But talk, how do they get there? 
there. Talk about some of the people in the film. Give me two examples of the Talk about two of them. Yeah, so um, the, the female lime streamers that feature the film is called Shen Man. She's a karaoke singer. So mm-hmm. she was a nurse uh, working in a big hospital before mm-hmm. she started doing live streaming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was just at the right time, uh, the right place at the right time because she started doing live streaming singing on YY right at the time when live streaming what started taking What prompted her to do this? What was... Oh, she, she, you know, YY used to be a voice tool for online gamers to coll- collaborate right. together. So she was playing a lot of games online. Mm-hmm. And, and then a lot of time when the gamers are waiting for somebody else to show up, they will ask somebody, oh, who can tell a joke? Mm-hmm. Who can sing a song? And mm-hmm. she started singing songs and YY, the platform gradually evolved to allow them to first do their quote unquote radio broadcast and later on to do live video live streaming. Mm-hmm. And what was the motive? How did she feel about this? From You depicted in the film, but this is like, oh, this could be a job for me. Um, you know, very f- quickly, she she made like thirty thousand RMB. That's almost like five thousand US dollars in mm-hmm. a month. Once she realized she could make that much money right. by singing karaoke online, she quit her job as a nurse. Mm-hmm. And but r- right now, she's very wealthy. Now she owns multiple apartments. She supports, supports the entire family, but she does feel trapped. Mm-hmm. You know, she just really want to get. We'll talk about that. that trapped in that she's got to constantly be performing and it's sucking her soul drive. That would be my my interpretation of what happened there. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, the entire family just quit working. Just depends on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for her, she's still like only twenty. It, when I, when I was filming her, she was only twenty two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was feel like the entire burdens on her. Secondly, she has to deal with all these online trolls mm-hmm. who badmouth her, who accuse her of having affairs with other people online all the time. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, she has to fend off all these rich patrons who want to sleep with her mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. And then where does that evolve to? Where does it end? She gets too old, right? That, or she gets too yeah, uninteresting. She, she's still on the platform, even though her popularity has dropped. Um, but uh, she hates, uh, she dislikes her lifestyle. But it's so hard to walk away from that mm-hmm. because it's relatively easy money. She has no education, so there's no other way for her to make money. So that's why she feels trapped. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they can transition into other types of... Right. That's How do you look at it when you see, the, the, from the streamer's perspective? Of what's, talk a little bit about life in China in that regard. I mean, I think that it's tempting to separate them from regular celebrities, but in mm-hmm. the end, that's really what they are. It's like, you know, when you talk about trolls and people criticizing them and being under a microscope all the time, this is really just what happened when a regular nurse became you know, a big, a big time star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so she's dealing with the scrutiny of that and also having to like live stream all the time. So mm-hmm. I think this is like a modern day example of what has been going on in entertainment for a long time. Right, right. You, you think it is. It's different though, because it's, because entertainers, they have, they have movies, they come out, there's a, there's a schedule and things like that. Right. And they, and the, and they are only lives. exposed when the paparazzi follow them. Right. And in this case, she's actually having to get online all the time. It is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's why I do actually wonder like what, how things about whether they can even transition, because I think, you know, there was a little hint of that um, in the film about how she's being, you know, now featured in magazines alongside right. movie stars and stuff. Right, right, right. And then talk about the poorer patrons. They're there because they're lonely, like you were talking about, and they have nothing else to do. It seems to me extraordinarily isolating. Yeah, it is. But I think that's one of the only ways. So in China, for these diaosu, the losers. The losers. Uh, the, <laughs> Say yeah. that word again. The losers. But I know, but the, the, the Chinese. Diaosu. Diaosu. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a self-deprecating way of calling themselves losers, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they spend a lot of time online. They have their phones. Mm-hmm. They, 
don't have that much real life connection with anyone outside right. of work. Right. So they they go on live streaming. They uh, go on Baidu Tiebao, which is like bulletin board, BBS, mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of very old system in China. That's where they mostly hang out. They also, you know, use QQ to connect anonymously with each other. Mm-hmm. That's an aspect of life that I think is a bit different in China than mm-hmm. in the U.S., whereas there's... China, of course, has so many people have risen through the ranks in the last few decades, but mm-hmm. there's less social mobility now in that if you are a migrant worker, you leave your home village where you knew all your friends and your family. You're going to a place and working, you know, long hours. Um, you're in a dormitory with people you don't really know that well. And so this escapism is much more necessary for them psychologically, mm-hmm. I think, than in other situations. They never really get integrated into society when they move to these big cities. Mm-hmm. And what are the implications of all those losers? Because most people are losers then in that environment. Yeah, it's ha- kind of heartbreaking for me to 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 uh, follow them and film mm-hmm. them because uh, even sometimes when I try to give them encourage them to take some, you know maybe some uh, courses and learn some skills they're mm-hmm. like oh I don't think I can I can success successfully learn that mm-hmm. and talk give one example of someone yeah for example like the migrant worker I follow in my film Yong he just bounced from one factory jo- factory job to another now, doing doing and uh, doing very manual labor and mm-hmm. on a, doing very simple assembly. Uh, of uh, or putting stuff in the box and ship them out overseas mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. as part of the global trade, and, uh, and now he works at the seven-day budget hotel as a front desk receptionist. Mm-hmm. So it's always low low-skill labor, mm-hmm. and he makes about four hundred to four hundred fifty dollars a month, mm-hmm. and of that he spends twenty percent every month on the live streamer he idolizes. Mm-hmm. So I. I just like his daily routine just work, live streaming, go to sleep. That's all he does every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, some, some days I encourage him and say, you know, why don't you learn how to become a bakery chef? And mm-hmm. I'm willing to pay you money to mm-hmm. to help you. But then he's like, I, I, I'm not sure I can succeed. And these are the population that's kind of feeling left behind in Chinese mm-hmm. society. But, but at the same time, they still harbor this fantasy and they can become someday be like the... The, the live streamer that idolize become multimillionaires and strike mm-hmm. it rich. Mm-hmm. How do they get there? It sort of just keeps them in the same stasis, this, these kind of technologies. Yeah, kind of give them a false hope mm-hmm. because, you know, by showing them, look, these are yeah, the I people... I de- ju- extraordinarily depressing, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, so yeah, it's like the big Lee, right? The, the, the live streamer who also came from nothing, who was a migrant worker before he became a live streamer. So he gave people like you, the migrant worker, hope. Like, look, you know, I've made it. Maybe mm-hmm. you have a chance too. If that's making it, if that's what your definition of making it is. In, yeah, maybe in Chinese, modern Chinese society, that's kind of making it, right? right. I mean, in terms of like he, he's multimillionaire. Now, right now, lead. now talk to the talk up to the the patrons. They're just amusing themselves because they're bored at the top, or what? Now, you know, patrons patronize these live streamers for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. One, uh, some of them they obviously just want to meet a girl because mm-hmm. the girl is popular, is an online celebrity. They mm-hmm. want to meet them in real life. And maybe some of them want to sleep with them. And But mostly I think they're just really looking for that ego satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I get worshipped. By poor people who cannot, because I'm a king, because I can spend money. Uh, Everywhere I go on the platform, people knows my name, even Mm -hmm. though it's just online handle. It's not a real name. Mm -hmm. And so, and and some of them actually do appreciate the live streamers' talent, or they just want to tip them for their, you know, for their talent. Right. 
Yeah, the, the, there was old systems like that in China where there would be patrons of people. Yeah, like picking opera. It's right. always like the rich patrons, the, the patron is the picking opera singers. Right, right. And then pick one that they give attention to or money or jewels or furs or whatever. And then meet them in real life. Right, right meet yeah. them in real life. I want to get in the next section about the future of where this is going, but what does this say about Chinese society right now? Because I think it's really, um, it, it isn't used as much here. It, people sort of stare and watch YouTube, but the participation level or the or the, the there's not as much of a uh, an ecosystem among and between. Why is it different there? Um, I think, like you were saying, that there was this sort of already established culture. Um, and so there's less of a stigma around saying like tipping mm -hmm. the creators, whereas here creators almost have to pretend they don't they're not making money off of it mm -hmm. or act like they're just doing it out of like sort of a labor of love. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the cultural like advertising difference. advertising or something like that. Right. And even when, you know, when certain creators in the U.S. are overly pushing merchandise and stuff like that, they get criticized for it. Mm -hmm. So it, I think that's a cultural difference. But in the end, it's it's very similar. It's like um, you all want that blue check mark. You want to be like, you know, famous on the Internet and stuff. And, uh, and I think to a certain extent, people do pay for it here just in other ways. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We're here with Hao Wu. He has a new documentary out. Now, where's it appearing? Uh, it's going to open in New York and L.A. on November 30th mm -hmm. and in other select cities like San Francisco, Chicago mm -hmm. um, in the following weeks. In theaters? In theaters. And what are you hoping to accomplish? What was your goal here? I just want people to be able to watch it because I feel like this is uh, it's a real-life, you know, Black Mirror story. That's, right. that's a cautionary tale mm -hmm. of what our lives will become if we don't watch out our relationship with the internet. So talk about that, because right now there's never been more strained, you know, with this Facebook stuff, all the fake news about feeling isolated, tech addiction, the uses of mobile, the, you know, I just rode on a subway here and everybody was staring at their phones, uh, myself included, although I probably would have had a newspaper in front of me in, in the old days, so it's not that much different necessarily, but it's gotten to a really interesting level. How do you look at that? Because I think China is, far, is showing what's going to happen versus... I think it's leading the way in this regard. Yeah, I think everywhere young people are addicted to their phones, but mm -hmm. I think maybe in China more so, mm -hmm. um, just because the there are more and more uh, consumer applications coming out mm -hmm. and fighting for people's attentions. And uh, uh, young people in China today, they are depending uh, maybe arguably more mm -hmm. on social media for uh, connections and relationships. Mm -hmm. And so... I mean, on one hand, as you were mentioning, that we all depend on our phones. We all their, social media is providing some good, but I think it's really a degree of moderation. Where do we draw the line? We mm -hmm. as consumers, when the platform, because we, we live in a capitalistic society, the, the the platform, the technology providers, they all have this profit-seeking mo motives. Mm -hmm. So they are out there to really live, use our own desires to make money for themselves. Right. So how do we watch out for ourselves? Mm -hmm. How do we say enough is enough? Because, I mean, in my film, everybody par kind of are willingly participating in right. that game of live streaming. They're getting something out of it, but there's a big personal cost. Mm -hmm. So that's all I want to do with my film is that, you know, maybe hopefully make people think Mm -hmm. After watching this film, how, what their relationship well, with the internet? Should what be? do you imagine they're getting out of it? Either desire, desire, their, their desires are being met, or their the desires they think they have are being met. They think they're being met, but uh, I think they're also being addicted to that. 
because the technology is really the live streaming and also internet, social media, uh, just one click, um, you know, away. And it's very easy to get that gratification. <clears throat> but is that what we truly want for ourselves? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think should happen? We should use the phone less, social <laughs> media less. But, you know, as a filmmaker, I'm also, after making the film, I really want to get off the social media, <laughs> but I can't because right now I'm promoting the film. Yeah, yeah. I kind of have to rely on social media to do that. Yeah. How, what do you think it points to, Loretta? I take a bit of a different view because I think that we have a temptation to look at this force, the internet and social media, and mm-hmm. sort of blame it for a lot of social ills. But I think the social ills were there to begin with. We just mm-hmm. didn't see them. They weren't exposed as much, or maybe things Don't weren't you think developing it amplifies as quickly. Things? I think that's the difference, is that it amplifies and it actually, uh, it's like having a slot, I call it a slot machine of attention, that it gets you and you cannot get out, that you you actually are drawn in and the, and the tactics they use are very similar to casinos or anything else. That's true. Um, and I think that these companies deserve some scrutiny for that. But in terms of like, for example, in the in the film, like these people uh, that were featured, they wouldn't have another outlet. Otherwise, it's not that they weren't isolated before. Right. Um, so I don't think they're necessarily being more isolated. They're in positions in society where they would be isolated so anyway. How do we make people less isolated? What happens, especially with these tools that allow us to feel like we have connections that we maybe don't? That's a very big yeah. Question. Well, I want a big answer. Um, so I think definitely we need to have more civic engagement mm-hmm. and uh, community building. But mm-hmm. that, that's you got. <laughs> well, what did you come away with? You mean what I come away with after mm-hmm. filming that? Yeah. I have a lot of sympathy for these people. I mm-hmm. understand where they are, why they feel trapped. I understand how live streaming has made their lives better and also made their lives worse. Mm-hmm. But. Just like for the two live streamers, they were extremely successful, right? Mm-hmm. They made so much money. They wanted to get out, but they couldn't. But the way I look at it, isn't that the same as my Wall Street friends or lawyer friends who hates their job but mm-hmm. cannot walk away from it because mm-hmm. they want the money? Mm-hmm. I see that's a common problem for... It's a fair point. Yeah, for all humanity. It's not specifically to the internet. Like you said, though, I mean, I do feel like internet sometimes amplifies things. Mm-hmm. But I think... Uh, I think it's a process, it's a discussion, a phase of discussion we're going through as a population really to understand where we want to draw the line. I don't have the answer. I don't think the society at Mm -hmm. large has an answer, but then we are exploring Mm -hmm. together. So where do you think this leads now? Let's finish up talking about where it goes. Just more people use these things? I think it's a way to control people, too. I just do. I think it's just... Yeah, a, I was t- discussing with a friend the other day. I think it's very interesting. So in the old days, we would talk about the d- digital divide because the poor people mm-hmm. don't have access to the internet. But mm-hmm. now almost everybody has a smartphone. Right. So in the future, maybe only the elites and the rich will be able to afford to force their kids off the phones. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a reverse digital divide. So only the rich will be able to have kids who grow up in the offline environment, mm-hmm. and the poor will be, you know, hook on the phone all the time. Right. That's one thing we discussed. Right. But that's a very dystopian picture. Yeah, yeah. But And, and where does this streaming lead? I mean, wh- where does it go? What's, what's the new developments in it? Obviously sex, uh, live sex and things like that, presumably, or... 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, streaming live streaming has been used in the porn industry in yeah. the U.S. in yep. the West, yes, right, obviously. Everywhere. But yeah. in China right now, if you look at China, live streaming has become every, um, everywhere now. If you look at New York Times, uh, the recent article about mm-hmm. the summary of Chinese internet companies, if you look through the list, most of them has live streaming in it. Like more and more, the Chinese Tinder, mm-hmm. a big part of the revenue came from uh, comes from live streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is you know TikTok or the short uh, short TikTok. form video. Right. Yeah, they are trying to experiment with live streaming as well. Mm-hmm. And t- go through some of the key internet companies now. There's TikTok, which is a short form short videos, videos that people do to entertain each other. It's like YouTube a little bit. No, it's like, it's Vine. like Vine. Vine. It's like Vine. Vine, yeah, like yeah. A, a Vine. It's short form. And they just, they, they become popular and these things tend to flame themselves out. I've always noticed. They tend, you know, you have to get more and more crazy to get attention, essentially, in, in these things. I'm waiting for a live execution at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not funny. Don't joke. It's going to yeah. happen. And it but it's going to. Yeah. It's going to. I, I am certain of it. It's like I, there's a there's network is opening here on Broadway. They made a play or a musical play or a network, the movie, where Howard Beale, everything in that, that they put on that network to make it the way it is exists right now, which is when it was a joke, it was a spoof then and it was a satire. Um, so so the key companies in, in China right now, go through them, are Loretta. <laughs> For internet companies, yes. um, Baidu, which is a search engine, Alibaba, which is a commerce platform, but a lot of other things, loans, lending, payment, mm-hmm. Tencent, uh, Tencent, which social and gaming, social and gaming, which has WeChat, um, JD, which is sales, uh, yeah, retail and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And there's also more, more, right? Right. And that's on Tinder and live streaming and uh, TikTok we mentioned and... TikTok is ByteDance, so they also own Total. Yeah. Which does explain. Uh, it's like news. It's like a news feed. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, in the travel space, there's Sutrip. That's the number one. Mm-hmm. So where does Chinese internet go from here? Let's finish up talking about that because I, I am convinced they're ahead in automation. They're ahead in cars, in uh, robotics, uh, AI. I just had Kai-Fu Lee talking about the investments he's making there. Uh, he's in, He was head of Google China. Um, how do you, what happens to Chinese? Do they come, Chinese companies have trouble coming here because of law, like the, the, the foreign investment acts. I think China's going to run the next internet age. I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think some of the, most of the really interesting innovation, bad and good, are coming from China. I think the difference in China is, A, the willingness of consumers to embrace new technology, yes. and then the speed at which Chinese companies are able to execute on them. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the development isn't going on everywhere. It's that you start seeing in real life right. in China first, right. and that inherently now the future is data right so the right. more data you get from right. consumers the better your everything else the they're willing to accept surveillance they're willing to accept different things and shopping that changes everything um, what is i want you each to talk about sort of a trend you see there that you think will go global uh, in china um, to me the shopping stuff is really into how they're doing the online offline shopping stuff i think is really interesting yeah and i think with that a lot of it is sort of the back end of what makes it possible. Mm-hmm. So that's where you see a lot of like AI and robotics and everything else. So mm-hmm. as you see more of that, I think those are transferable across borders, right? So regardless of the consumer culture, companies are going to say, hey, I see benefits in doing my business this way. I'm going to incorporate this technology. So you're going to start to see Chinese technology in lots of industries everywhere. Mm-hmm. I've been away from the technology space for a while. I've been, I'm, I'm, I've Would you been get back for- in it? Would you get... 
Mm, I enjoy doing filmmaking right okay. at this moment. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's definitely going to be a lot of innovation in the China's consumer application, internet application space. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how they can translate globally, it's still a big question mark. Yeah. Because um, based on my experience working at Alibaba and uh, TripAdvisor, there is a lot of cultural differences and consumer mm-hmm. behavior differences between China versus the, the more developed countries. Mm-hmm. So, some application that's being optimized, some business model that's being optimized for China are not necessarily directly transferable mm-hmm. uh, to the Western markets. Mm-hmm. For example, like live streaming. It's not like we haven't tried live streaming here, just right. in terms of the business model. It hasn't it, worked out. It hasn't worked out. And right. the, the ecosystem with the rich and the poor and the, the uh, live streamers, how the triangle work together yeah. and feed on each other. Yeah. That hasn't happened in the West. Yeah, yet. the rich and poor hate each other here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do it. Yeah. That's how so we what do I it. think is so great about having someone who worked in technology doing yeah. films about it is that you yeah. haven't seen in other films like the visualization of like digital life and right. like the way it's done in People's Republic of Desire is different. Than, you know, so far in the West we see like Hollywood movies with like text bubbles in the corner. Right. It's so boring. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. And that's not really what it's really like for the youth of today, which grew right. up in the internet. Age, right. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's Snapchat probably is a closer, the way people interact and communicate on Snapchat with each other. Mm-hmm. But there's not a patron subject kind of thing going on there. It's in, in, in between people. It's a communication system versus a, a watching, a voyeur system, really. It'll still evolve, though. Like you see, for example, they have like super chats in YouTube and mm-hmm. like Instagram has live streaming and there people are talking on it. So yeah. Yeah, you know, I do that all the there. time. I have crazy ones, but they're not. They don't have thousands. I don't have any patrons. I don't have any rich patrons. I don't know why. <laughs> well, you I'm know, willing. I'm open for business. It's one of the reasons why, like Vine, died. Right? right? Like they didn't. They didn't give creators a, a way to monetize their content. Yeah. And if they did, you know, it's not like people aren't willing to spend money on their favorite creators. There's right. just not a good system to do it. A hundred percent. All right. What is the message you want to leave? And uh, my final question with people when they watch this: What do you want them to get out of it? I don't think there's a single message I really wanted them to take away because, like I said before, technology can do good and bad things. Mm-hmm. I, I really just want to, like, when, whenever I watch Black Mirror, mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of each episode, I was like, I was shocked. I, 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 it, it would take me a while to really fully understand the emotional impact. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to really use this film to make, to, think. to make people think, to shock you, say, this mm-hmm. is already happening. Mm-hmm. This is not a sci-fi story, even though it looks like a sci-fi story, but it's a true story. Right. So as long as it, make, it shock them to make them think and start a conversation, right. which happily I've heard a lot of people after watching the film at festival, they really are talking to each other, discussing this film. I'll be really happy with that. All right. I saw the film in a group and mm-hmm. immediately afterwards we got in this huge debate with each other about like what it means and like who was the hero and who was the villain and whether... Mm-hmm. It was a happy or bad ending. There's mm-hmm. no consensus. And I think that's like the amazing thing about this and also just the internet mm-hmm. in general. Yeah, we are in a Black Mirror episode, just <laughs> so you know. Anyway, thank you so much for coming. Loretta Chow and Hao Wu, his documentary, which will be out and available online also, I assume, uh, is called The People's Republic of Desire. I recommend you watch it. It is entirely depressing to me, but <laughs> maybe you'll come away with a different opinion. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Peter again. Just wanted to tell you that you can get People's Republic of China on iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play. So go get it. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening all year. I really appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend. It's free. That's all we ask. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, who bring those sponsors to you so you can listen to this podcast for free. 
Thanks to my producers, Gold Arthur and Eric Johnson. Joel Robbie edits this show. You guys are great. Thanks again for an awesome 2018. This is Recode Media. I will see you next week, which is 2019. This episode was brought to you by Valley of the Boom from National Geographic. This all-new six-part limited series follows the stories of three companies trying to change the world through technology during Silicon Valley's unprecedented tech boom of the 90s. From the first browser wars to the story of a car artist on the run from the FBI who reinvents himself as a tech entrepreneur, these are the true stories of how the web was won. Valley of the Boom premieres Sunday, January 13th at 9, 8 central on National Geographic. But you can watch the first two episodes right now on demand and on the Nat Geo TV app.